Welcome back to another Two Guys, One Topic expert interview. As the listeners will know, this week our topic has been container shipping. And Liam, we needed to find ourselves a topic expert, didn't we? Yes, we certainly did. I set about going about doing that since this was my choice. And as we mentioned in the pod, I went straight to the top. The largest shipping company in the world are Maersk. Okay, they are responsible for about 20% of all container shipping in the world. So I went straight to the top. I emailed them. And it turns out we have managed to get an interview with their head of their global ocean network. This is the guy that's in charge of all of these 700 boats, where they're going, when they're going, what they're doing, what's on them. Like his job is he's in charge of everything, basically. He is their senior vice president. And this interview is really, really interesting. So I hope everybody enjoys this. This is our Two Guys, One Topic expert interview with Lars Mikael Jensen. Okay, Lars, thank you so much for joining the Two Guys, One Topic podcast. Thanks for having me. We were looking for an expert on container shipping, and we uh, we think that it is most certainly going to be you. So we, we ask all of our experts, the first question we always ask is, essentially, how did you get into, you know, just a, a brief history, how did you get into the industry, shipping, boats, you know, that sort of, the role that you're in now? How did I get into it? Uh, I mean, I joined uh, Maersk uh, 40 years ago. Uh, and uh, how did I get into it? It was one of, I have to confess, it was not sort of because it was shipping, but uh, Ifimola was a great company here in Denmark. So I applied. And then this whole international business that we deal with is kind of, that was appealing to me. And um, I have regretted that one single day since I walked in the door 40 years ago. So a bit of coincidence that it was shipping, but uh, not a coincidence that it's about the world. Great stuff. And, and yeah. what's your, your role today then, Lars, within MESC? Today, I'm, uh, I'm responsible for, for what we call our ocean network. And network has nothing to do with the uh, internet and stuff like that. Network is basically the 700 ships that are sailing around the world where we sail in what, you know, is the same as a bus schedule, essentially. So we are managing what ships goes where, what ports do they call, what cargo do they bring from one end of the world to the other and so on. To try to get all of that go into one, uh, I'm going to say, big uh, giant puzzle. Amazing. Thank you. And we today we were learning this week, sorry, we were learning about container shipping and yep. we found it you know, a little bit mind blowing about how once the container was invented, that it just completely revolutionized like the global economy. And just by having that 20 foot and the 40 foot container in place, I mean, can you just explain to our listeners the significance of what it meant to world shipping by having containers in place? I think the uh, there's a couple of things that it did was number one it and I say it developed an efficiency that it was easier to bring goods around the world and then it also enabled that they were brought around safer to the world because before container was invented you were shipping you know stuff around the world in crates and bales and carton boxes and, yes. and all of that and then then things happened because you know it was it was a big risk that it got damaged when you loaded discharge and and all of that but when you then got it into a container it was kind of protected the other thing that it also did was that it allowed the container to actually go to the factory 
So in the past, right, you produce something, uh, you know, in uh, Wolverhampton or wherever it is, right? You brought it on uh, on trucks down to the port. You got it onto the ships and the carts. Now you could bring the container to Wolverhampton. You could put the boxes into the container and then drive the container in one go down to the, the to the port and then on board the ship. So there was all these efficiencies that uh, that helped, and. Um, and, and and that kind of like reduced the cost. It made it more frequent. It made it more safe and secure. So so that's uh, that I think is is the main thing that happened. And on those efficiencies, we were wondering just how long does it take maybe to load up one of your your largest ships? If we're talking about you know twenty odd thousand TEUs, how long might it take for a ship to be loaded? It and unloaded. Yeah, it depends really on the on the say on the efficiency in the terminal. But 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 if you take a big ship, you you operate cranes on it, right? So you have these gantry cranes at the container terminals. And if you really want to completely load and unload a big ship, twenty thousand TU ship, you maybe put ten cranes on it. So you have ten cranes working uh, simultaneously, okay. right? Yes. And 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 maybe a in a, in an efficient port, a crane can take on and off like 30 boxes an hour on average. So that takes off, uh, you know, 300 boxes in an hour, and then you can kind of multiply and, and so on to get there. But I would say if we came in, which you seldom do, I'd say, with a 20,000 into a port, Felix store or something, and say, discharge all of it and load it all of it, then it would probably take five days or something like that from you start to unload until you finish loading the last box. But because they are so big, you very seldom, almost like never just go to one port. So okay. when a big tw- when a big 20,000 uh, TU ship comes from Asia, it's maybe going to three or four ports in Europe, starts in Felixstowe, goes to Bremerhaven, then to Rotterdam, and then to Antwerp, and then back out again. And then it's doing like, what do I know, 20, 30% of the loads and unloads in every port. So it's a little bit like a bus. I mean, I, I often try to describe it as, uh, uh, as a circle line in London on the tube, right? Okay. Which 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 kind of like goes around in circles. It it never stops, right? There's always people getting on and off the, the uh, 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 that tube, right? It's different from district line that sort of ends in one end and goes to the other, and then yes. it waits for half an hour and then it goes back. Circle line keeps going like this, and this is what the, this is what the container ships do as well. So they go maybe to four or five ports in North Europe, then they go all the way out to Asia, start in Singapore, unload some go up to Hong Kong, unload some, then Shanghai, Busan, and then back again. And in every port, it discharges some containers and it loads some containers. So it's like this. It's really like Circle Line. that It just goes on that, and then it takes maybe 12 weeks to go from Felix to all the way up to Korea, all the way back again. And then 12 weeks later, miraculously, on a Wednesday afternoon, it's in Felix <laughs> I don't think we'd properly comprehended that, had we, Liam? I think we were thinking more of it as a linear yeah, yeah, we thought, yeah, we thought, like you said, district line. We, we, I think we actually said, didn't we, like three ports, it must go one, two, three, empty. Yes. Yeah. Go back yeah. up again, one, two, three. And no, that is clearly not the a, case. That is, that, is, that is not the case. I mean, obviously, if you go, you see, what you normally then do also is that, I say, you come to Singapore, you discharge, I'm just picking a number, 500 containers. Then maybe you have a ship that's coming from Australia that only goes to Singapore, but it actually has containers that need to go to Korea. So now you've created space on that ship that came from Felix, though, that needs to go to Korea. Yeah. So you, you, you transfer your 500 boxes from Australia to Korea onto that so that you avoid that you are sailing a ship. 
I'm going to say half empty, exactly like that. It goes like district line, empty, fill up, and then uh, and yes. then go back. So you try to optimize it uh, uh, in uh, in that way, so that you can say the whole world in that sense is connected. That is that's mind blowing. That must the logistics of trying to organize and stay on top of that must be mental. That's unbelievable. The bigger thing is when it, start, when it starts to go wrong, because then the ship from Australia, because of coronavirus in Sydney, is delayed for three days. So you miss your 500 boxes that were supposed to connect, so they can only connect the week after and uh, and and all of that. So it takes very little disruption. Then, you want to say, that whole very fine established network, you know, can get out of, yes. uh, can get out of sync, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So might you have it that, what a boat will have to stay in port longer while it waits for a connecting ship to arrive to then sail on is is that yeah that that you do sometimes other times you basically say okay then the boxes will need to wait for the next week when the next ship comes because because what you normally do on that bus schedule you have an agreement that you'll be in Felixstowe on a Wednesday and you have an agreement with the terminal will be in Bremerhaven on a Thursday and if you then wait too long in Felixstowe you don't get to Bremerhaven on the time where you are actually agreed yeah. that yes. you can call. And then another ship has come and basically taken your spot. So it's this balance here between waiting and then making sure that you are going to say meet your agreed uh, uh, slots. So what we normally do is we say, okay, we build in a little bit of buffer between the different ports so that yes. if something goes wrong, uh, but uh, some cases more than just a little thing go wrong and then, <laughs> then, then you're in the mess. So I, we, we're only thinking about it as in like a game of Tetris trying to fill the boat up correctly, but it's actually a game of Tetris of the boat within a game of Tetris in the ports and getting everything, exactly. everything, everything but, else. But I, but I think that comparison is actually very true because, you know, it doesn't work if you if you go, I was just say Felix, though, Bremerhaven, Rotterdam, just to take an example. But when you then get to Felix, though, all the boxes that are on top of the ships, they're the ones for Rotterdam. They've got to be at the bottom. Otherwise, you know, you kind of like get them off in the wrong sequence. Plus the fact that it's sort of a three or four dimensional Tetris, really, because because then for safety for the ship, you also need to make sure that the heavier boxes is at the bottom. Because okay. if the heavier boxes is up at the top, when you then get into some waves, then it's, you know, it starts to move too much from one side to the other. So the, the boat is more stable if the, uh, if the more heavy containers are down at the bottom. So, yes, it's a jigsaw in many ways, but it's a, it's a fantastic and fascinating jigsaw to be part of. <laughs> it sounds yeah, like yeah. properly interesting day's work, you know, trying to solve this puzzle every day. Um, the next thing we, we were amazed, so, you know, a lot of it blew our minds, but it was the size of the boats themselves. And, you know, we're going to have listeners who, who, you know, these are 400 meter boats with thousands of containers on. But we then read that the size of the boats, you know, they're getting to a point where they're now restricted by the infrastructure of the ports and, you know, the Suez or the Panama Canal and stuff. Um, so we, we wondered, are boats as big as they're likely to get? you know, for the, for the medium to long term, or, or are we, are we thinking they're going to get much bigger and everyone, all the ports are going to have to grow with it? I think the, uh, I mean, okay, you can never predict, predict, and especially not about the future, but uh, I would, I would venture to say that, that, that we are getting there um, at least in larger quantities, because one thing is that you get a ship that can actually load more containers, but you also need, 
it also needs to make sense that you actually have enough cargo to actually fill it. And and then mm-hmm. you can say you have a you have an importer uh, Tesco in the in the UK, right? They are saying, okay, I don't need all my 300 boxes this week to come on a Monday. I would actually like some on a Monday, some on a Wednesday, and some on a Friday. So 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 there is also this balance between a big ship that has a lot of boxes or a number of smaller ones that are still sizable, but but brings that so so there is a there is a balance on the economy but uh, i mean right now the biggest ones are coming out at what 24000 to use if you fill them until the last uh, the yes. last container uh, there are designs out there that could do 30000 but you know question is whether they will be built i i don't know uh, but uh, something in me tells that there are other things that are starting now to have priorities sort of like Making sure that you have, um, I'm going to say, CO2-friendly ships, and yes. you know, reducing the carbon footprint, and maybe there is a different way in terms of size of ships and um, and so on, and then also how to be flexible. But uh, you know, maybe we take another call in five years' time, and I'll be proven wrong, and there is one at twenty-six thousand. <laughs> but uh, but right now, it right now it's not there. You were saying about the demand as well. So if Tesco's are saying they want to then move things around and. Um, with coronavirus, that must have had some impact on yourselves. Is there, we're reading there might be actually a shortage of containers around the world at the moment. Is that right? There is, a, there is at the moment, but but I'd also have to say, if this is a program about container shipping in general and so on, there is a very unique situation at the moment because okay. that's, co- that's come out of COVID because uh, there is a, there is a very strict operational environment because there are either you can say too little labor in the port because there is a lockdown and so on. So, so there is a backlog. But what has happened also is because all of us didn't go on vacation for quite some months, right? Yes. And 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 we didn't go to restaurants. We hardly even went to the pub, right? So 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 can we we had to spend our money on something. So there's been an increase in the consumption of consumer goods, particularly in the US. And that has meant that the number of consumer goods that are being shipped, and they typically go in a container, has increased. So therefore the demand has increased because of that. On right. top of that, when you then have you know say you I mean, one thing is the ship. Even more importantly is in the logistics chain is the land side. So yes, as you rightfully says, is there a limit and what about the ports? You need to get the boxes on and off, but you also need to get the containers out of the terminals into the distribution warehouses and back again empty. So it doesn't stop at the terminal. No. It actually goes It goes with a trucker that goes to Birmingham, that goes yeah. into distribution center, that brings the, yeah, empty yeah. Container, the empty container back. And I'm sure you read all about, taking UK as an example, the shortage of, of, of truck drivers, right? So if yeah. you're missing... You know, I saw in a Danish newspaper, newspaper, 90,000 truck drivers missing in the UK or something like that. I don't know if that is correct, but a lot of truck drivers. And if you're missing that, then you don't have the capacity to actually bring the full boxes into the distribution center, empty them and bring them back. So what we see, what we're seeing is that normally when a container was discharged, it was back empty within a week, less than that, four or five days. That in some cases now take 11 and 12. So you, in order to be able to keep it all running, you need more containers. So that's part of what's eating this uh, or into this as well. It takes longer for the importers to turn them right now. But, you know, as the world hopefully normalizes with COVID and so on, that will all go back to its normal shape. So I think we have to be very careful not to draw any dramatic conclusions on a current situation. 
But right, mm-hmm. but right now it's, it is super critical. And I am sure that there's a lot of talk about we are missing this goods on the shelves because I can't get my transportation done and I can't get okay. the production done and all of that stuff. Um, but, uh, but clearly the bigger the ships, the more containers you need. That's, that's obvious. Liam, you were saying to me about when you started looking on the motorway when you were driving, that you were just seeing containers all over the place, weren't you? As soon as you started yeah, to... It's funny. Yeah, now I can see them. You know, they were sort of, you know, camouflaged. And now, now I'm doing this podcast, I just, they're everywhere. Just yes. up and down all the time. Yeah, no, but uh, but if you look at just from Asia into Europe, right, then then maybe there is, you know, across the different companies that are doing this, maybe there is like... 30 big container ships every week that sails from Asia to Europe. So, and if it all, it all needs, very few boxes are actually emptied in the ports. They all need to go to a warehouse, some closer to the, to the, to the port and others uh, further away. Yeah. So, so yes, they are, they are all over the place, but that is just as much part of the logistics chain as actually the ships. And I would venture to say that that land side part of it is more important than the, uh, uh, than the ships. Okay. So, so you saying about all the ships coming from, say, Asia to Europe, we were reading about, obviously, the importance of the, the routes that they have to take, and one of them yep. being going via the Suez Canal. Yep. I, I just wondered if you could just let us know, you know, just the importance of what the Suez Canal means to, to shipping, rather than going around the, the Cape of Good Hope. I mean, in, in terms of, you know, what is the time you spend? It basically takes uh, an additional week to sail south compared to, if you come from Asia, if you come from Singapore, then you go, I don't say, directly down to South Africa and then and then round, whereas, you know, you go to Suez, you go the other way. But if you sailed at the same speed, it's about a week longer from Singapore to uh, to, uh, to, okay. to, to, to to Rotterdam going south. Uh, so, so. That's one thing. And then obviously also the CO2 footprint by sailing south is bigger because this the ship is steaming one week longer than it otherwise would, right? So yeah. both for time, for 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 the greenhouse gas emissions and so on, you know, you look to go through Suez. But if you can't go through Suez like this, I'm sure you've also read then about that ship that kind of blocked the Suez yes. Canal back here in what was this May or May or June, right? Yes. Then 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 that shows the importance of that because it basically created a big backlog for yeah. those, was it six days that the, the canal was closed, that ships couldn't come through. And then once it opened, all the ships, they were going through the canal and they were all racing to be the first one to get to Rotterdam to get the berth. Yes, uh, yeah. Uh, so so, so it has, a, it has it, it clearly has an impact. And, and same as container shipping, both the Panama Canal and the Suez Canal have made distances shorter so it's connecting asia more yeah. with you can say the atlantic basin either into the u.s east coast or into europe yes yeah. yeah we read just about how many like 30 percent of containers go through the suez canal it's just that's that a mind-boggling number if you read that that is probably true then <laughs> well, it's, also, well, yeah. it's in suez they, they obviously know as well how important they are and there are some pretty hefty tolls associated with with using it as well or oh, we seem to think of it in the grand scheme of things it might what not did, be what, but... what did you hear that those tolls were so oh, yeah go on so around three hundred and fifty thousand us dollars okay that's on a cheap day then wow um... <laughs> so, so if, that... if you if you can get me some of those passages for a big ship i'll come and i'll come and do business with you <laughs> <laughs> i'll see what i can do i'll make some phone calls yeah, do that. Um, yeah. So wow. So and it's all dependent on is it the size of the ship, the weight of the ship, and there's there's a few variables, isn't there? 
for for Suez Transit or yes. Yeah, I mean there is obviously there is a max size that can go through the Suez, but but in Suez the biggest ships can go through Panama Canal is different because the, the Suez Canal it's it's literally right it's just it, they dig the whole uh, canal through the desert that's essentially what it is, whereas in the Panama Canal it kind of like lifts the ships over a narrow continent but they have locks so the ships come in they're then elevated in the locks and then they go in and then they're elevated once more so two okay. or three times up and down uh, in the locks so so there is a max size of these locks that you can actually go through and then you actually build ships that are built exactly on the dimension of the smallest lock and you call it a panmax so that basically yeah. means that that you you know at the time when you had the paper newspapers you could kind of like put a, a Sunday Times on the side of the hull and then that was what was left of space between the hull and the uh, wow. and the uh, uh, and the uh, and the locks right so so that was a limitation whereas in in Suez uh, there's of course a draft restriction but 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 you can pretty much go through with uh, with with all of the big ships so there is a difference between Suez Canal and uh, and uh, Panama. So when you have uh, ships from, let's say, South China to New York, there's a couple of big ones still go through Suez, whereas the mid-sized ones, they will go through Panama. Okay, that, that makes sense. And, and how far off was I with the, the toll pricing? I'd say, I'd, I'd say you. I'd say you probably. If it's a big ship, you probably come halfway through the canal, and then it'll come and ask for more money. <laughs> That's immense. That's so much money. Um, one of the, uh, I don't know, maybe more controversial things that we, we we read about and some of our listeners mentioned about is modern day piracy. And we wondered whether, I, I don't know if you can talk about it necessarily, is it, is it something that, that you prepare for or is it something that the industry can prevent? Um, ha, is it as prevalent as perhaps the media say it is? Um, I, I don't know if you could just touch on that at all. It's it's it depends on the parts of the world because because generally compared to maybe I mean you've probably also read about bulk ships that can take sixty thousand tons of coal or, or whatever it is. If you take a container ship, they generally sail faster. So as long as okay. the vessel is in speed, it's more difficult to kind of like for the pirates to get on board. So if you're talking about down with Somalia and so on, this is very seldom with the big ships. I'm not saying it never okay. has happened, but okay. when, when the container ships is at speed, it's more difficult. But if you are in West Africa, as an example, and you are lying outside a port waiting to get alongside, then it's easier for the pirates to actually get on board. Yeah, okay. So there, what you do for a kind of prevention is that you say, okay, in this area around this port, if you're waiting to get alongside, you always kind of like keep the engines running and then doing so. It's a little bit like landing in Heathrow, but you're circling around okay. uh, 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 around uh, around London, right? And get uh, yeah, okay. at, uh, at Buckingham Palace or whatever you get. <laughs> um, uh, so, so that's what you do to that's what you do to prevent, right? Uh, and then when you have the engines running, if something is coming that that looks nasty, then you just give it full speed and try to get away. But but there are pockets of of challenges on this, and then there are some companies that then have armed guards on board when they mm. go into these areas, uh, wow. uh, de depending on on where it is. But but I'd say the type of ships that we are running is is much less normal maybe than others. And then I'd say it's the smaller ship that doesn't have the speed that kind of like go to more 
uh, how to say risky places that that, yes. that have a high high higher risk. But uh, but I, I don't think I've ever heard about a twenty thousand TU ship being attacked by uh, by pirates. Okay. I've heard I've heard lots of times in West Africa about a small ship lying outside waiting that got attacked. Oh wow! Okay, and yeah. um, one of the yes. one of the things that got you onto this subject, Liam, or wanting to pick this topic was watching Captain yeah. Phillips, wasn't it? Yeah, how, um, yeah, just very, very briefly. I don't know. Have you seen Captain Phillips? I, I imagine you must have. I, I, have, I imagine I, you I must have, ask all your members of staff to watch it before they I sign up or something. I haven't, I haven't, I have indeed. I actually, uh, I actually worked on that bus lane or ship lane okay. that uh, it, it okay. sailed on at the time when it happened. So, um, yeah. Um, but yes, uh, but here was also a question of a ship. And then you, I mean, that's for whatever reason is slowing down on the speed. Uh, I forget whether okay. it had engine problems or what it was, but it's sort of like it leaves yourself vulnerable on that if you're slowing down yeah. the speed or you're basically just, okay, let's put anchor for, for the night. You know, in those areas, you never drop anchor. No. Yeah, no, that, no. Makes, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, um, cool. Thank you. you. You mentioned about the blockage in the Suez Canal. And yeah. I think it was the Liam. Was it the Ever Given from from Evergreen? Yeah, Evergreen, Ever Given. Can you yes. just just talk us about you know what what that meant to you for your week? You know how <laughs> that must have been a pretty frantic or, or stressful week for yourself, was it? Given your role, it it was actually. Uh, it, but but again, you know, it is what it is, and uh, and there's not a lot you could do. I mean, the first thing you think is like, holy shit, what is this bike? Because this. <laughs> Fortunately, does not happen all the time, right? No. Yeah. Uh, so, so then you then you kind of say, okay, let's wait and see. You know, what does it do? Do they get it off within half an hour? Do they get it off tomorrow, and so on? And then you know, as the, so in the beginning, you just say, okay, we'll just keep on sailing the ship. We hope that it will clear itself tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. But then as the day passes, you start to do that kind of say, okay, now you've got fifty ships waiting. Now you've got a hundred ships waiting. Now it's close to 200. And then you are saying, hmm, the ships that we have from Singapore, what do they do? Do we take that extra one week around South Africa? Yes. Or do, yeah. or do we risk going to, uh, to, uh, to Suez and then be ship number 248 in the queue or whatever? Yes. And then you make your calculations. And at some point in time, we found a couple of ships where we're saying, hmm, even if the canal opens tomorrow or the day after tomorrow, before the queue is cleared, it will take that week longer than it does to sail south. Yes. So we actually took yeah. a handful of ships and told them to go south because no matter what we do, you'll end up being a week delayed. And if it turns out that the ship is stuck for a month, then at least we've taken the early decisions and yes. and, uh, and and sent something via the south. So it it was that it was that balance. And then when you make the decision that this ship, depending on where it was, should go south, you kind of like call the ship and say, okay, how much petrol do you have on the tank here? Can you get all the way, you yes. know, south of of of, uh, of Africa and up to Europe? Because what you do is that you you basically fuel them so that they can get. You don't want them too heavy, so you don't want just to overload them with fuel. So if you need to burn X amount of tons to get to Rotterdam, where you can fill up the tank again, then you may not have enough uh, on board to go all the way south. But fortunately, they mm -hmm. had, and, and we went that way. Excellent. For and, uh, a, handful of a handful of ships. Or are, so. the, are the crew happy with that? You know, if you're phoning up going, right, guys, you're out for weeks on end, and just so you know, you, you're going to have to do another week, 10 days. Uh, are they all all right with that? Did they? You mean for? I mean, obviously, if you were meant to be released at the next call in Rotterdam, and it takes a week longer, then you're not too happy about it. But but generally, when a crew member is on a ship, 
there may be ownership for, you know, 12, 13, 14 weeks in some companies, even okay. six months, right? So, so, so it's more like you take your turns and, and, and we often have loops where you go like 12, 13 weeks from Europe to Asia and then back. And then you typically take from Rotterdam out to Asia, back to Rotterdam, and then you, uh, and then you, then you are released, right? So in that case, it takes longer, but, but, uh, you know, the, I think, uh, the, Ships crew, they are. They they know that when you are planned to disembark in a certain port, it it may change because yes. if something happens in that port, you ain't going to Rotterdam, and then you need to get off the ship in Havre or whatever it is. Yes, no, absolutely. No, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, to to think about that. We were we were also having a bit of a, a forward looking view, and I know you said about maybe come back in five years time and see if the the size of the ship <laughs> increased or not. But we we were reading it, yeah, very much around the. The, the effort to reduce carbon emissions um, and just some of the work that Maersk are doing at the moment. We're reading that recently purchased eight carbon neutral ships. Um, I don't know if you could just maybe enlighten us a little bit about, you know, the, the industry in general looking forward and just how yourselves are then focusing on those greener credentials. It is no doubt that that is, that is an increasing agenda for, for, for all of us in the, uh, in the industry. I mean, we've made the uh, uh, the I want to say the announcement that come uh, come 2050, we want to be uh, we want to be uh, carbon neutral and, and and basically run all our ships on I'm going to say non-carbon fuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if a ship can be 25 years, you kind of need to get going, starting to replace your fleet. So we see customers with more and more demand, plus, of course, ourselves want to reduce that footprint that we have today that is kind of heavy. So what we did here last week was we indeed went out and we contracted for building of eight big ones, 15,000, uh, that can basically sail. They, they call the dual engine. So it can sail on methanol and it can sail on conventional fuel if you don't if you can't yes. get the methanol and and then you know it's a bit of a kind of like you know it's a chicken and egg here because today you can't buy that amount of methanol and certainly not as biomethanol that is produced based on you can say windmills and stuff like that so green electricity but if you don't put out a demand there the production will never start so we are uh, yeah. we are experiencing with you know different types of of carbon neutral uh, uh, fuel types and now we've made the bet on these uh, eight ships of uh, of uh, uh, I want say that can sail on methanol and now the next step is with other companies to establish a production of biomethanol which is based on you can say uh, carbon-free electricity. It doesn't work if you just get it, you know, from a normal coal, coal uh, electricity. Uh, then you know, then then you're back to square one, right? So now we have the ability to do that. But we have 700 ships in our fleet. So in the bigger scheme of things, this is a drop in the ocean. But this is the first of its kind, and we've actually done a, I'm going to say, a pilot ship that we will get already. Yeah, after next early 23 smaller ship that's going to sail in the Baltic seas where we're going to test this and try to see how it works and then we get the big ships in 24 so so we are we're clearly on a mission here to to make sure that there is not more greenhouse gas emissions shipping from China into the uh, into the UK than it is from driving from uh, from Felixstowe to London yes yeah that, that that makes sense and uh, we were we were reading that you know that there are a lot of emissions that the industry contribute to but it is still by far a more efficient way than trying to go down any other travel routes if you're sending things via air or by trucks all the way so um 
Absolutely. Plus, that also it has the capacity. I mean, I mean, yes. you should have all the trucks in the world times ten if you wanted to truck yeah. everything from Europe to Asia. Yeah. And so on. But also in Europe, lots of trucks going to Turkey and Greece and these places, and you could essentially convert that to uh, to ships, and then not go fully carbon neutral as it is today, but you can take a step of the way. And that's where I personally believe that there is a lot to do for container shipping, taking boxes, at least in the long hauls of the roads. They still need to get from the terminal into the warehouse, but those long continental uh, truck drives, you know, we can somehow work on that. Can can you convert a ship? Is it possible to convert one? Like you've got you know, 700 ships that are, that are not necessarily running off of the, the biodiesel or whatever, you know, are they convertible or, or not? I, you, 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 in theory, you can. I mean, you can replace the engine. And so it's, it's the engine that this is about. The shape of the ship as such is the same. And then, yeah, I'm not a technical expert here, but then what yeah. I understand is that you can go take your current engines and go part of the way by making some modifications. It may not go 100%, yeah. but, you, but, you can, uh, but you can do it, right? But I think the biggest improvement is going to come when, when there is new buildings, essentially. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And um. Just looking even further ahead, I guess, we, we'd read about an electric container ship, uh, you know, fully automated electric container ship that was going to run. Where, was it only Norway somewhere? It's, yeah, the, the Yara Birkland, which will be a fully autonomous, fully electric yeah. container ship, a yeah. much, much, much has, smaller than, than I think the yeah. ships that, that Maersk are responsible yeah. for at the moment. But, but, but it is, you know, it, it's, it's certainly possible. You also talk about uh, electric planes and stuff like that. So, so yes, it is entirely it is entirely possible, but uh, you know it probably needs some quite sizable batteries to go all the way from from Europe to Asia. But but those yes. local distributions for sure, for sure can be done. But they also experiment in basically having it you know without any crew. So what you do is is you need a lot of young guys that are used to computer games and joysticks, and they will <laughs> sit somewhere in a bunker, and then they will they will do that. But but no, seriously, that that can be done, and you can do the same on a container terminal. So you can basically we have some container terminals where we are pretty much running them, you know, without people. And it's literally a number of people that are sitting somewhere in an office building and then basically with a joystick moving stuff around. Wow. Yes. Yeah, that, that wow, is the, most definitely. <laughs> so, there, so, so there is hope for all of those that spend a lot of their youth uh, doing computer games and so on. You <laughs> may actually be able to move containers around in a terminal. <laughs> that's brilliant oh that's really interesting yeah liam was there anything else that you wanted to ask lars no no i've been a bit quiet again this interview i, I could listen to you talk about this for ages it's just it's it's just the logistics around it i'll tell you one thing actually I, I did my brother asked me to ask how do you know which container to take off of a boat when there's twenty four thousand containers on there he said you've got to ask him that how do you know a boat's come from somewhere with all these containers on a mine's Eight under the bottom of the 17th row back from the left. How do you know where it is? Well, I, number one, every container has a number and a barcode. So, uh, but, okay. no, but, but, but what you do, obviously, is that, you know, the, behind all of this here is an ever more sophisticated IT landscape and systems and tech environment that mm -hmm. actually deals with this. So whenever a ship leaves a port, we know exactly because we are registering what containers goes where and um, and so on. So I can at any given point in time, I can take a ship and I can say this container, you know, third uh, third layer from the bottom, in the left hand side, this is a container with, 
you know, uh, uh, electronics from Samsung that needs to go to Oslo or, or something like that. So we will always know what is on board. And the minute then when it gets off the terminal, again, there is a terminal system that registers. This one that came from Bay 5, Row 7, uh, Number 6, that we actually put over here so yes. that you always know where it is. Wow. Now, yeah. now when, when the computer system then goes down or somebody messes it up somehow, yes, then you're then you're in trouble and then the digging starts. But fortunately, that is very 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 seldom <laughs> that it happens. Brilliant. I've actually written here. I've I've written on and there are there ever any mix-ups? But yeah, I'd imagine there must be from time to time. There, there is obviously, uh, but but it's a little bit also like the parcel services. So when you send something with FedEx from. Of course, yeah. from the U from the UK to New yes. Orleans, right? It goes via Brussels and then via Chicago, and miraculously it ends up in New Orleans. It's the same thing. Yes, these here, yeah. these here are just not small packages. These are kind of like big boxes that need a crane to actually lift them. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So that's um, that's what it is, and and also the same as airplanes. When you book a connecting flight and so on, the only difference is that humans they walk between the planes. We need to move the containers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> that's brilliant. Lars, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us and just clear up and just verify um, some of yeah, the research and reading that we've done this week. Um, we really appreciate it. It's been brilliant talking with you. No, it's been um, it's been my pleasure. I hope that I can throw some lights on a, on a world that for me is is super, super, super exciting. And even after 40 years, I'm looking forward every day to go to work. This is great fun. Amazing. Thank you thank very you. much. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. Liam, tell me what you thought about talking with Lars just then. Mate, that was so interesting, wasn't it? Uh, there was no way anyone has listened to that and not decided that was one of the most interesting things they've listened to. It's incredible, isn't what, it? What about yourself? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating. I, I love it. He's been doing it for 40 years. You know, how much more of a topic expert can we have? Container shipping's only been around since 1955. Um, so yeah. yeah, incredible. And it, but it turns out that your fact it was 350 grand to go through the Suez Canal was a, a little bit off. It was. <laughs> That's the point though, isn't it? That's the whole point. We said if we get an expert to clarify or even correct what we think is true, then that's great. And that's exactly, you know, a lot of what we found out turns out was exactly true. Just, you know, every now and then we find out those little snippets of um, information just, you know, slightly not quite true in real life. And I would only get halfway down the Suez Canal in my yeah. container boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was great. That was really, really good. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. We hope that other people listening feel the same as well. If you have any additional questions or anything that you think you'd like us to ask Lars, please let us know. I'm more than happy to to have another chat with him and answer anything else. Hopefully everyone's been able to get out there and you can now share some knowledge. <laughs>